continue our lesson from yesterday, or rather from last week, Joshua 1 and 8, Philippians 2 and 12. Good to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. We're going to have a great time this evening. God's going to move in a great way, and we're going to leave changed by the challenge that's going to go forth this evening. Verse number 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may, mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Philippians 2 and 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The conclusion of verse number 8, Then shalt thou have good success. We're going to continue today with strategies for spiritual success. Amen. Lord bless you as you're being seated this evening. Just to recap quickly, Last week, in case you were not here, I spoke briefly about um, how imperative it is for people to have a strategy. A strategy is nothing more than a plan. If I can use some secular analogies just for a moment, people do not wake up at the age of 65 or 70 and become, wake up one day and, and realize they're millionaires. Doesn't happen like that. But if you go back 30, 40 years or more, they had a plan. They had a strategy. And they slowly worked that plan and that strategy because they lived life with a goal. And they ensured proper steps were taken to meet that goal. If, if I had to question... There were probably some times where they didn't feel like putting back money because they wanted to use it for immediate pleasure. But they had a plan. They had a strategy. And they worked the plan, and then they got to enjoy the fruit of their labor. you got to have a plan. One man once said, A vision without a strategy remains an illusion. And to think that one can evolve throughout life without proper application coupled with proper dedication is the epitome of deception. As I stated last week, growth is always intentional. If it's, if it's intentional in the physical, then it it could be said in the parallel, in the spirit, growth is intentional. You don't wake up one day and, and, and you're able to lift 500 pounds. It don't happen like that. And you don't wake up one day and realize you're a spiritual giant calling down thunder from heaven. doesn't happen like that. But what, what you can do is start lifting 10 pounds once a day. As you grow, 10 becomes 20. 20 becomes 30, et cetera, et cetera. So it is in the Spirit. As you build upon your foundations that were laid and you pray 10 minutes and you pray 15 and 20 minutes, then you grow. If we're going to grow as Christians, 
We must make calculated adjustments on a daily basis to achieve our goals. The once famous coach, uh, rather still famous, the late Vince Lombardi said this, hope is not a strategy. Hope is desire. The strategy is discipline. A lot of people have hope of being successful. They have hope of being a spiritual giant. They have hope of having money in the bank. But hope in and of itself is not a plan. It's an aspiration. When you couple aspiration with application, you'll get results. Last week we covered two strategies. The first strategy in becoming who God has designed you to be is to discover your purpose. How does God want to use me? And it's unique to every individual. Can God use people the same way? Absolutely. Did God put each individual on earth with the same identical purpose? No. Because there are some people, their purpose is to be a light on their job. Their purpose is to be an example and, and, and uh, uh, of what laity should be and a, a pillar of the church and a financial support. And there's people that God gifted, just like in the building of the tabernacle, he gifted them with the wisdom to build things. I was thinking when Brother, when brother Spanky was teaching several weeks ago about what he was, was the machine that he was rebuilding. You know what? If I looked at that machine, the first thing I'd say is toss it. Can't happen. But I don't have it here. God did not gift me like he gifted Brother Spanky to look at something and assess it. And, 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 and Brother Spanky, I don't know your personality that well, but here's what I've concluded thus far. You're, you're just a whole lot more laid back and relaxed than, me, than I am. If I couldn't fix it in 20 minutes, gone. But he just slowly, he plodding away at that thing. That's his gifting. That's his purpose. God designed him like that. And God designed you your own way. And, 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 and it, once you discover how does God want to use me, then you got to start taking proper steps. The next step is to take personal responsibility. You can't blame people for why you're not fulfilling your purpose. The only person that you can blame is yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Only you can run your race. I thought about this today. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. I could pray for you in my own private time. I could pray for your needs. I could pray for your family. I could pray for your future. But I can't pray for you. I could pray for you, but I can't pray for you. You can have everybody in this room praying for you, but if you don't pray for yourself, they can't save you. you got to take a personal responsibility and realize that when I stand before God, it's not a team thing. It's a me thing. Nobody else is going to be accountable for why you did or did not make heaven. Personal response. So now we've covered the first two that we touched on last week. Let's go to the third strategy, which is take spiritual authority. 
There's a lot of people that are living with a spiritual identity crisis because they don't understand who they are in God. You don't understand your authority and power in the spirit. You will just wander aimlessly. I remember when I was young, an old man gave me, an older man gave me a little advice. He said, son, let me tell you, when you get on that job, because I worked out in the refineries. I was at the, the bottom of the bottom of the, of the totem pole. I did it 10 months, and I figured out it was a lot like jail. you got to wear a jumpsuit, and you're locked in. I said, I, ain't, I don't want none of that. But he told me, he said, always walk fast and look serious, and nobody will mess with you. And I remembered that. I'd just be walking fast and looking serious, and nobody stopped me. If you look like, you're confident. Authority. It, it, it says a lot. Even when you aren't confident and you make people think you are. Jesus said, when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, Matthew 10 and 1, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now this is pre-Holy Ghost. Pre-Pentecost. But let's jump to Acts 1. Upon his ascension, he said, And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What power? The same power the disciples had. The same power that Jesus had. You see, you already have what you need to reach your potential. When you get the Holy Ghost, he embedded inside your spiritual DNA the fabric of who you are, the power that you need to operate in the realm he designed you to operate in. Just because you don't acknowledge the power doesn't mean you don't possess the power. If you got the Holy Ghost, God put in your spirit everything you need to live successfully on this earth. You've already got the power. You've already got everything that you need. When you look at David and Goliath, What made David so notable is not necessarily his stature. It wasn't wasn't who he was. It wasn't his identity. But it was the fact that he operated in a realm of authority when everybody else was hiding. Insomuch that he shook all the armor that King Saul tried to place upon him, and he took that stone because he understood his identity. You see, your identity... Will, will, will bring opportunity in the future. He was, he was used to a, sl- a stone and a sling. He was used to operating as a shepherd in that role. And, 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 and when the time came, God used where he was already at and what he was already familiar with to accomplish a purpose. You see, nothing you've been through in life will ever be wasted. Everything that you've been through God has a way of using it somewhere later on in your life. Moses, you want to know why you got to spend 40 years in the desert tending to your father-in-law's sheep? Feeling like you're forgotten? It's because i got to prepare you, Moses, because if I can trust you with somebody else's sheep, I can trust you with my sheep. And every, i got to teach you how to live in the wilderness. i got to teach you how to survive in the wilderness. Because what you don't see is I'm going to give you my sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. 
And if I just wanted to throw my sheep in your care without training you first, you'd never be prepared to make it 40 years. See, everything that Moses went through, it wasn't wasted in God's plan. And everything that you go through in life, God doesn't waste it. God uses it for a greater purpose. I said it last week. We don't connect with people through our strengths. We connect with people through our weaknesses. I can't celebrate with you when you get a $100,000 bonus at the end of the year. I can't celebrate with you on all these different highs. But you know what I can do? I can relate to you when you say, you know what? We barely have any food in our pantry. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. My family's a mess. We can connect with people through our weaknesses because we've been there. And God used what David was familiar with, the stone and the sling. And he went to that giant and he said, you come to me with a sword, spear, and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. He operated in spiritual authority. And if we're going to be who God's purposed us to be, we have to operate in that same realm of authority. I'm not saying you got to throw them on the ground and lay hands on them in the middle of Walmart. That's not what I'm saying. You can operate in authority in a manner that is, is discreet, and you can speak the name, and you can pray the name, and you can minister to people in a way that you're not making them feel uncomfortable, but you're still fulfilling your purpose in God. There's five dimensions, and I'm watching the clock real quick. There's five dimensions of spiritual authority. The first dimension is calling. Spiritual authority is derived from God's call upon your life. Everybody has a call of God. Everybody. That's the beginning. That's when God puts his thumb upon your life and, and says, okay, this is I want to choose you. And in the beginning, you may be the only one to feel that call. I'll never forget when I was around 16 or 17 years old. I cannot tell you that I saw lightning from heaven or it was written on the wall or anything. Boom, you're called to preach. Some people it happens to. Mine was, it started on the inside. And one day, one of our lay preachers was covering us, or, or, our Sunday school class, our youth class, and, and we were all standing, fixing the clothes, and he said, I want to start right here. We're going to go around this circle. He said, I want to know what do you want to see in your life? I only had one thing that I could think of in my heart. And everybody else was talking about things and all this. When it got to me, the only thing I said was the only thing I could think. I said, I want to see souls saved. That was it. It's the only thing at 16 years old that mattered to me. I, I wasn't saying how I was going to see him saved. I wasn't saying that I'm going to be the one preaching when I see souls saved. All I had was something that was burning on the inside. That guy took me a couple nights later. He called me. He said, I want to bring you to McDonald's. I'll never pass up unless I'm on a fast. I'll, even McDonald's is at the bottom of the list, but I'll still go if it's free. These, they building all these new McDonald's and people get all excited. And I said, hey, food tastes the same. <laughs> it may look pretty on the outside, but bad is bad no matter how you look at it. 
And he just started pouring into me. He just started investing in me. Little did I know that it was all in the plan of God. But it started with a calling on the inside. If I would have verbalized what I felt, people would have just sat there and said, ain't no way. Ain't no way. And they, they, you know, sometimes the people closest to you have the hardest time seeing you as anything than what you've always been. Once they put you in a mold and a pigeonhole, it's almost, why do you think people move? People move not because they don't love where they're from, but because they want a new start. We have a hard time seeing people as anything other than what they've always been. But God begins to speak. And in your life, when you recognize that call of God, that call to do something great, once you figured out, it took Samuel three times to figure out what the call was. But once he figured it out, he says, speak, Lord, your servant heareth. Sometimes we got to push away all the, all the noise. And, and, and we got to listen. God has a way of confirming things within us. I, I, I remember a youth camp, Brother Robbie Mitchell, Robert Mitchell, uh, was preaching a message, and he preached about Gideon. And his message was the last one to know, but the first one to go. I'll never forget it. And the whole time, the angel spoke to, 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 to Gideon and said, Thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's hiding behind a wine press. And there's times with people, I've learned, sometimes they see it in themselves first, but other times everybody else sees it before they acknowledge it. And, and, and I said, Lord, if you're speaking to me, I'm going. I was the first one to that altar. When I got to that altar, I closed my eyes and I lifted up my hands. And um, uh, 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 the day speaker, I don't remember his name, but he came straight to me, laid his hands on me. And everything that I had been talking to God about in the pew, he told me right there in my ear. God has a way of confirming things in your life if you're listening. I have a, I have a firm belief that anybody that wants to be used by God and know the will of God can know it and can be used by God. Absolutely. The second dimension of spiritual authority is character. The first is calling. The second is character. Spiritual authority is always strengthened by good character because this is the level where your life begins to match your calling. Former U.S. Senator Alan Simpson once stated, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. You ever met somebody that you lost credibility because what they did did not match what they said? you got to make sure that your calling and your character line up. You don't want your good to be evil-spoken of. This is why Jesus chided the Pharisees is because their character did not match what they professed their calling to be. And he said, you're like painted up sepulchers. On the outside, you're playing the part. But we're not worried with the outside. We're worried about the inside. If we're going to be who God's called us to be, we got to make sure that the inside matches the outside because that's what matters most. The third dimension is commitment. So it starts with calling, and it goes to character. Then it goes to commitment. 
Luke 9, 62, Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We're living in a day when people have a hard time following through with what they say. They choose convenience over commitment. But look at 1 Kings 19. Verse number 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? In other words, if that's what you want to go do it. And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now, Elijah was not, Elisha was not concerned necessarily about seeing his mother and his father. But watch the covenant that was made. If you read it too fast, you'll miss it. He took a yoke of oxen and slew them. Then he took the instruments of the oxen, or the plow, it represented his identity. It represented his vocation. And he made a fire with the plow and all the instruments. It was his way of saying, I'm doing away with everything that wants to find me because God is calling me to a greater purpose. The thing that once labeled him, he burned it all up. I'm not returning to it. I'm going to make sure it's done away with. See, People, people cannot embrace who God's called them to be until they have first annihilated who they once were. The reason people have a hard time with commitment is because they're still in limbo as to who, which side of the fence they want to be on. They, they have identified themselves for so long as one way, and when God tries to call them and move them to another realm, they have a hard time letting go of what they're familiar with. People are not afraid of change as much as they're afraid of the unknown. If you could tell somebody, this is what you're going to look like in three years. Your marriage is going to be restored. You're going to have money in the bank. Your job's going to be good. You can tell them all that. They'd sign right up in a heartbeat. It's the unknown. That's why people stay in abusive relationships when you look at them and say, are you crazy? No. They're afraid of the unknown. They know that life. They don't know the life you're trying to get them out and lead them into. Commitment. John Maxwell once said, motivation gets you going. Commitment keeps you growing. The fourth one is consistency. Spiritual authority grows by consistent action. And when you learn to operate by faith instead of feeling, you gain authority. One thing that I had to work on as a Christian, I'm talking about sitting out there on the pews, is my poker face, if I could use that term, because things would fluster me so, so bad. I'd see things. That's why I had to. I got to. When I was in church, I'd sit on the front of the second row because if I'm any further back than the second row, 
I might as well watch it on Facebook Live because I'm a people watcher. I'll get so distracted because I'll fix everybody's problems just sitting from that pew. They need, to, they need to line that out over there. They don't need to be doing that. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. That's part of it. But as I matured, I had to learn to not let my emotions dictate everything. There's times people would do things. Have you ever have you ever gotten embarrassed for somebody and you just turned beat red and had to put your head down? Like, it's not even me making a, 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 an example of myself, but I'm embarrassed for you. My wife always knew, and I'm fixing to give my secret away, my wife always knew whenever I was perturbed because I'd bite my bottom lip. Oh, I just gnaw, gnaw that thing to death. That was my way. If you ever see me biting my lip, just pray for me. Something's done got under my skin. But I had to learn that when I come to church, I'm not, regardless of what kind of day I had, regardless of what's going on with people around me, I'm coming here with faith in my heart, and I just want to worship the Lord. It doesn't matter how I feel. That's part of, that's part of spiritual maturity. Consistency is not acting like you don't have emotions. Instead, it's choosing to be mature, and behave consistently, regardless of how you feel at any given moment. There's been times I, I literally was laying on a floor like this in an office because my back, I've got two torn discs and a herniated disc, and I literally could not stand up straight. But I would lay on that floor in a pastor's office before church and listen to the music until it was time to come out. And I would walk out of that door like nothing was wrong because I didn't want anybody to look at me and say he's wanting attention. No, the only attention I want is you on Jesus Christ. That's it right now. And we don't need to be coming in here wanting everybody's attention. I'm convinced some people don't want deliverance. They want attention. Some people don't want healing. They want attention. Spiritual maturity is being consistently with your emotions, your expressions. When you come in the house of God, it's all about Christ. Finally, the fifth one is conviction. Spiritual authority resonates from a heart of conviction. There's a difference between passion and performance. You can tell when people are doing something just to go through the motions. You can also tell when someone's passionate about what they're doing. Passion makes the difference. I'd rather have some, someone do something out of passion rather than do it out of obligation and just going through the motions. You see, conviction elevates you to a level where you're, you're all in. you sold out. And those who are sold out can't be bought out. we got to have more people that are sold out. I'm doing this because I want to do it. I'm doing this because I'm in love with Jesus. That power produces passion. So the fourth strategy I want to talk about is seeking divine favor. Your ability to lead is determined by your capacity to grow. The reason some people can't lead is because they haven't yet grown. The more you grow, the more you increase your capacity 
and your ability to lead. The Bible says, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. I used to look in the paper, and you would see businesses such as car dealerships, especially back in Lake Charles. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to one specific car dealership. It was the biggest dealership in Lake Charles. But it seemed like every other week you'd open the paper, and he was standing there with one of those big mock check deals, and he was donating $10,000 to this thing, and he was donating $5,000 to this thing. It's like all the time. It's a good indicator of why he was the biggest car dealership because he learned the secret of giving. Now, let me, let me burst your bubble here for a minute. The law of the harvest applies to people that are not even living for God. We, we ain't got no... God on the, uh, cornered on the market here that we're Pentecostal. It don't matter. There are principles. There are principles that are kingdom principles that even secular people can operate in them and be blessed. They can be blessed. And they learned along the way that, hey, there's a secret to this. The more I give, I create room to receive more. It's easy to shoot at people that have a whole lot of stuff. But let's back up and start at the beginning and let's see how they got all their stuff. It's because along the way, they made room. They made room. And every time you make room, your capacity increases. You can receive more. And it's not just a, it's not just a financial thing. Generosity can go with your time, with your speech, your conduct. God cannot trust you with more until you prove yourself First, with what you have. I know I told the story before. I was riding down the road with a man, uh, lived by Galveston. God blessed him, had businesses and all kinds of stuff. And he was telling me part of his testimony. He said, you know, somebody came up to me one time and said, I, I sure wish I could give like you. And he said, you can. They said, really? He said, yeah. He said, you want me to tell you how? They said, oh, yes, sir. He said, write the check. Because the hardest part is writing the check. But he learned a secret. He said, brother, i tell you about the first time God laid a big amount on my, on my heart, and I wrote the check. He said, before the check cleared the bank, God already provided that and more for that check. Sometimes God just wants to see what you'll do. But there's four areas that we must grow in to experience divine favor. First, we've got to grow in wisdom. Knowledge is accumulation. Wisdom is application. Wisdom is how do I apply the knowledge I gain? There's a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge. They've read a lot of books, but where they lack is wisdom. How do I apply that knowledge in my life? Knowledge is accumulation. Wisdom is application. As we seek God's favor in our life, what we're saying is, God, help me apply wisdom to every area in my life. I, you know, I'm not one of those that you need to come to me and ask me what color car to buy, all that kind of stuff. Okay? You do that. You pray. That if color matters. I think in terms of scratches 
and what shows the most dirt. And, and I've made the wrong choice. I, I, I bought black. It shows all the dirt. But let me say this. When you ask counsel from the man of God, heed counsel from the man of God. That's like going to the doctor. He writes your prescription. You walk out and throw it in the trash. He don't know what he's talking about. Why'd you go? I can tell you two stories. One, one story uh, of a man at my home church. He had a very successful job. and He had an opportunity to move to another state. He went to the pastor. He asked him. He said, I'll pray about it. Next time they met up, the pastor said, well, brother, the only thing the Lord kept telling me whenever I would pray is that scripture in the Bible regarding Israel. They, they left full, but they came back empty. He said, good enough for me. I'm not going. But there was another family that went to the same man. They were in a financial bind, and they needed money. So they had this idea they were going to sell their house. They were going to move. And he said, I'll pray about it. He went to prayer, and the Lord told him, you tell that family, it's not my will yet for them to leave. But if they would just be patient, it'll all work out. So that family came to him, and he told them what the Lord said, and they got all upset because they felt like they knew the will of God for their life. You know what they did? It wasn't much of a house. I could take you to the spot. They sold that house about thirty, a little over $30,000. They were in a bind. Six weeks later, the casino came through, and wouldn't you know they had to have that piece of dirt and they paid the new owners $130,000 for that piece of dirt, and they bulldozed the house. God didn't say no. Sometimes a no is a not yet. But if we're hasty and we want to move, we'll mess up the will of God for our life. So we have to learn to apply wisdom. The Bible says if any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of him. Let them ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. Pray for wisdom. God will help you make those right decisions. Secondly, we've got to grow in stature. Stature has two meanings. First, it regards the physical growth. But second, the status or standing of a person gained as a result of growth or achievement. For example, if someone uh, moves away, they go to college, they get their doctorate degree, they're successful, they come back to their hometown, their stature has changed in the eyes of people. They don't see him as the snot-nosed kid in town. They see him as a doctor because they achieve some things. Leonard Ravenhill tells the story about a group of tourists visiting a beautiful village. They passed by a man sitting on a bench, uh, on a bench, and they said, "Were any great men born in this village?" The man looked at him and said, "Nope, only babies." That's the reality of life. Great men or women aren't born. Babies who are born become great men and great women. A Paul the Apostle was born a baby. Jesus Christ, born a baby. John the Baptist, born a baby. King David, born a baby. They were not born into this world as what they became. They were born and then became. Thus it is with us. We have to become who God's designed us to be. Thirdly, we have to grow uh, in, favor, uh, in favor with God. God loves everyone, 
But God shows favor to those who are diligently seeking him and living according to his word. There's a difference in someone who was sorry they got caught and someone who was sorry for their sin. God knew Adam sinned when he went looking for Adam, but what God was wanting was honesty out of Adam. I messed up. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done it. Whereas when Samuel confronted Saul over the sacrifice, he started playing the blame game, and the kingdom was taken from him because he wasn't honest. When we walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, when we let the word of God govern our life, we grow in favor with God because we're showing God we're serious about this thing. We're serious about living according to the word of God. Fourthly, we've got to grow in favor with others. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his life. Hear me when I say this. Saved people serve people. Jesus exemplified the essence of who we are supposed to be when he washed the disciples' feet. It was not about the act. It was about the spirit behind the act. And what does it speak about us when we're only willing to associate with people that we go to church with? What does it say about our testimony if we push back those who are not yet walking in the revelation that we're walking in. It doesn't speak good about us. Jesus spent a whole lot more time with people that weren't his disciples than he did those that were his disciples. He ministered to people. He loved people. He served people. If I could recommend any book to any saint of God, you could Google it, you could Amazon it, you could do whatever. It's a little pamphlet. I mean, it's just, you probably read it in 20 minutes. And it only has one word. The name of the book is called If by Amy Carmichael. And I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from that book. If I'm afraid to speak the truth, lest I lose affection, or lest the one concerned should say you do not understand, or because I fear to lose my reputation for kindness, if I put my own good name before the other's highest good, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. See, love is selfless. She goes on to say, if I can write an unkind letter, speak an unkind word, think an unkind thought without grief and shame, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. If, I, if souls can suffer alongside and I hardly know it because the spirit of discernment is not in me, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. Mother Teresa, was, Mother Teresa was asked by a critical journalist in India, or rather she asked a journalist, what is the worst thing that could happen to a person? He replied with just a, a, a quizzical answer. It didn't really make much sense. And she said, no, sir, you're wrong. The worst thing that could happen to a person is that they would go through life and feel unloved. If they can't feel the love of Christ through us, then who are they supposed to feel the love of Christ through? If our gospel be hid, the Bible says it's hid to them that are lost. We know what the gospel can do. It's the people out there that need to know what the gospel can do. And the gospel is displayed by action and by love. We all have ways we grow in favor with others. 
you can do something for somebody that I can't do. And I can do something for somebody you can't do. But we can all do something for people. People don't care as much about what you say as they do about how you make them feel. Just love on them. Just love them. If you, if you say, well, I'm shy. You know what you can do? Write a card. You can write something. Send it to them. There are more than one ways. There's more than one way to express love for people. More than one ways. More than one way. Take spiritual authority. Seek divine favor. That's the, that's the two strategies. Stand with me right now. That's the two strategies that I brought to you today. And if we'll, if we'll be intentional about our growth, I'm of the opinion you should not be the same level spiritually this time next year that you are today. If you are, something's not right. If the things bothering you a year from now are the same things bothering you today, something's not right. But if we, if we set intentional and be realistic about your goals, tomorrow I'm praying 10 minutes. And you know what? Pray 10 minutes and that's it. Accomplish the goal. Tomorrow I'm reading three chapters of my Bible. Read three chapters and go on. Growth is intentional. And, 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 and when you come to church, make up in your mind, I'm going to the altar. If nobody goes to the altar, I'm going to the altar. What the, what the cash register is to Walmart, the altar is to the church. It's the place of transaction. If you went to Walmart and you filled up your buggy with a whole bunch of stuff that you needed for your life and then you got to the register, the three that are open out of 52, and you said, you know what? I don't want none of that stuff. And you left your buggy and you walk out. People would think you're crazy. You would think yourself crazy. But people do it all the time when they come to church. God's trying to load up their buggy with what they need for their life but they never make it to the place of transaction where they can leave changed. This is where it happens right here, at an altar. If, even if I'm preaching on tithing, come to the altar. We may need it. Come to the altar. It's about a mindset. It's about being intentional and being who God's designed us to be. Let's lift our hands right now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word.